0: Episode 165 is here everybody with Joshua Shea, the recovered porn addict who uh, is now coaching people and couples uh, suffering through porn addiction and uh, really appreciate his insight into this sensitive topic. He's written books on pornography addiction and has come on to shed insight into his own personal story uh the effects of 2020 how the pandemic has accelerated this porn industry and probably porn addiction all over the world uh here in the u.s particularly so really appreciate josh's insight check him out we've linked him in the show notes and as always everybody please subscribe uh, rate review comment and share i can't say it enough But thank you, thank you, thank you for the continued support and continued word of mouth uh, advertisement from you, the listener. With that said, everybody, here he comes, the porn addiction specialist, coach, author, speaker, the one and only, Josh Shea.
1: The Optimal Life.
0: Welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, We were just chatting about how life has really forever changed um, in so many different aspects with 2020, the pandemic, putting everyone at home. And of course, with putting people at home, it gives us a lot of time to think about things and do things that maybe we otherwise wouldn't be doing. Because now we have all this added time to be with ourselves, uh, bottled up uh, indoors, etc. One of the things that... Um, is apparent after looking at uh, your background and the book that you came out with. Uh, 2020 had uh, quite a bit of impact on people when it came to pornography. Is that correct?
1: 100%. And I think that everybody tends to look at figures of just consumption. But I don't think that's the legacy of the pandemic when it comes to pornography. I think the legacy is going to be how many people we saw enter the sort of do-it-yourself, sell this stuff at home uh, pornography. Um, It has absolutely exploded. For people under 35 years old, you ask them what OnlyFans is, and it's part of almost all of their culture. People over 35, most of them have no idea what it is. But we have over a million more people in America making pornography and selling it online than there were before the pandemic started. So part of me, and, and my my last book uh, that you made reference to, Porn and the Pandemic, uh, I talked to a lot of these models, and what I found was that they didn't talk just about the money that they liked. They liked going online and having a guy tell them that they were special or they were good-looking. Um, they liked being you know, told that there was nobody like them on earth. Because they they told me, I can't get a boyfriend in real life. I can't get a date in real life. But now I've got men throwing money at me and telling me how awesome I am and how beautiful I am. And what that reminded me of was the porn addiction or even the alcoholism that I went through where you're trying to crave that little something. And these a lot of these models unfortunately have found their dopamine hits. I think that the pandemic, 2020, is going to be remembered more for opening the world to pornography production, mm. pornography consumption.
0: So explain to people what exactly is OnlyFans? Because like you said, a lot of people don't know. So what is it in Layman's no. terms?
1: Well, uh, in, in the broadest terms that somebody who is 60 could understand, it is Facebook meets Etsy. I mean, that's really almost what it is, where you have a page that people, you know, much like your Facebook page, your, your wall, uh, people pay money to subscribe to it. And let's say it's $10 a month and you subscribe to my page and I can put photos and videos and messages that are anywhere from, you know, G rated to triple X um, since it's since there is no uh, censorship of it, it's found its niche in the R rated and triple X category. So you come and you look at my page. I make my best money by saying, Okay, if you want a super secret photo where you see everything, it's only five more dollars. Mm. And then somebody, you know, hits the button and pays five dollars for that photo. And these a lot of these uh, young women and young men who went to 18 to 25 uh, found that they made so much money that they are not returning to their service jobs. You know, you drive by any fast food restaurant, you drive by retails that are reopening now, and it's amazing how many, you know, help-wanted signs there are. And that's because, I mean, so many people in that age group, at least a million, have... Moved to making online pornography. A million is more than seven different states' uh, populations. Mm, you know, think wow. about think about that. That's how many more people in our country, uh, the U.S., are making pornography this year than they were last year. So, forget if, uh, how many people are looking at it. That's how many extra people are making it. Yeah, the people
0: own. are distributing and making it. Yeah, there's all this a sudden all these creators. Because what you're saying is, you could have a, a young girl, for example, who's smoking hot. Um, who is able to get maybe three, four, five dollars for a picture? And if she's got a hundred thousand people paying her, it's not hard to add up the math, right? I mean, no, she gets no. to put and, it all and in you her know
1: pocket. What? That average-looking girl who is, you know, nothing special—that you know, most people would not even notice walking by them on the street—or that same guy, because there are a lot of guys on this site. Um, that average-looking person—you know—well, all they need is a hundred people with five dollars and they're making good money all of a sudden and you have to remember this is also the age group that grew up with the internet so the older you know my my uh i didn't get the internet till i was at the very end of high school so i obviously remember a lot of the world without it and um there were certain taboos, there were certain stigmas about, you know, nudity and sex and pornography, and I think that because this younger generation, under 35, grew up on the internet, they don't have these stigmas, they don't have these attitudes, and it's just now being seen in society that these stigmas and attitudes towards nudity, towards sex, towards pornography are not there like they used to be, and that's what allows a million people to suddenly go online and and start making pornography I think 10 years ago you wouldn't have had that many people or 20 years ago you wouldn't have had that many people but we now have an age group that is legal and can make their own decisions when it comes to making pornography of themselves
0: that's fascinating so and again only these are not just still pictures there's videos as well correct
1: Absolutely, and, and the thing is, the more unique you make it, the more you can charge. There are some out there who get big followings who will make a five-minute video just for you. They'll say your name, they'll say whatever you want, and they can charge three, $400 each because you're the only person on earth getting that and a lot of these women also, uh, and and men I I do need to keep saying that um, a lot of these people will like sell their smartphone number or a smartphone number that they use to people so they can text them and charge them three four dollars per text Um, a lot of these a lot of the women specifically told me that you know guys don't necessarily um do this for just the the naked people they're doing this because they lack intimacy they're doing this because they want the girlfriend experience Mm-hmm. And they want me to, you know, for fifty dollars, they'll pay me for the next week to say, you know, good night, honey, to them at, you know, midnight on a text.
0: So this is taking pornography to a completely different level it because is
1: a, it is, it is. A, everybody talks about virtual reality, and people have been talking about virtual reality going back to the nineteen eighties. I don't think that is going to be um, our future. I think our future is going to be this do-it-yourself stuff that comes. It's almost with, you know, you remove the sex from prostitution and you replace it with a deeper level of intimacy. I think that's what a lot of guys are looking for. They can, you know, they can can masturbate themselves. They don't need to be laying next to her, but what they want is a connection. Yeah,
0: that's interesting because uh, years ago, if you, Debbie Does Dallas, hey, it was you and your little video or whatever video you were watching, but that's where it started and that's where it stopped. It was you and your little domain. Now, you're adding this ultra level, uh, this this ultimate layer of uh, intimacy in terms of emotional, which so many people are really searching for and seeking and they're fill, filling this void even though the void is, it's not even real it's almost like a phantom they're feeling they're filling this void because uh, correct me if i'm wrong they continue to not be able to get enough of this person right i mean they might feel whole oh, absolutely. for absolutely
1: absolutely you know it's it it's it's almost drug dealing one-on-one you give them stuff on the front are hooked on you they you just keep charging them more and more to get their to get their fix of you so to speak mm. and it's a uh, it's why you know when i talk about addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction uh, i i see getting addicted to some of these models almost more than just being addicted to porn it's it's on an intimate level it's on a level that is uh you know than just what they look like um, and that's that's almost scarier in some ways
0: that is much scarier so let's talk about you and then we'll migrate back to this yours was different, correct? yours was the t- talk us through your, your journey and path how did you know you started when did you start becoming addicted?
1: I became addicted the moment that I saw hardcore pornography for the first time um, and it was I was 12 years old Um, an older cousin showed it to me and I can't tell you exactly what was on the pages of those magazines or even what the magazines were called but I I remember getting this feeling of warmth come over me and just peace and tranquility and in that moment I realized that I had found something special, I had found something that made me feel like I had never felt any other way and when people there are still some people out there who believe pornography addiction isn't a true addiction and I tell them you know two years later I got drunk for the first time it was the exact same feeling um I was at a wedding that I was at and they left champagne around and once it hit me I felt warm I felt safe I felt like a better I felt like a better version of myself I uh I I, I guess that just realized that I had found the answer to something. I didn't know what the question was, I didn't know what the problem was, I found the answer to something. And if my timeline from 12, 14 years old straight through to when I went into recovery in my mid-30s, I was absolutely, um, I was just absolutely uh, beholden to these things, these were my crutches.
0: So the first time you pick up this magazine at twelve years old, you see a, a naked woman, and
1: uh, well, I see some hardcore sex going on. I'd seen naked people,
0: but there the was something about seeing actual. You you saw a man penetrating. You saw a man penetrating a woman uh, on the pages. Yep. And the feeling that came over you was a feeling that you had never experienced before. A euphoric feeling.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I I would describe it as euphoric. I mean, it's it's like that feeling you that toasty feeling, you know, people describe when they get drunk, and I, and I know what that's like. I mean, I've heard people who are on heroin say it's like a warm uh, wave just washes over you. I don't know if it's the same for every addiction, but when I. When I first felt that, uh, that's, what, that's what felt great. That's what felt wonderful. I wanted to go back and keep using that stuff. That's the greatest feeling in the world. There are so many people who believe that addicts, whether they're drug or food or whatever it is, we're always trying to get to our next high. And that's not true. We are just trying to get the same high we got the first time. But that becomes impossible because the moment you go into an addictive relationship with anything, you start to change your brain chemistry. Eventually, you have the disease of addiction if you don't take care of it uh, soon enough.
0: When was your first intimate experience with a female?
1: Uh, Consensual would have been uh, 14 or 15, but like most porn addicts. Um, I had sexual abuse in my background. Um, the statistics are actually pretty sad when you look at them. Um, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who's kind of the godfather in the area of sex and porn addiction, um, he had a groundbreaking study.
0: I'm sorry, you're breaking up, Josh. Can you say that again? You're, oh, bre- you're breaking up.
1: Sure. I, I'll, uh, the, the doctor's name was Dr. Patrick Carnes, and uh, he had a groundbreaking study on porn addiction you know back 25 years ago what he found was that of men who had this abuse or of men who were addicts 70 percent or in the ballpark had suffered physical abuse uh, around 80 percent had suffered sexual abuse and over 90 percent suffered either emotional or mental abuse so you know what what does that abuse cause that abuse causes trauma And most of us develop these addictions to deal with trauma in in unhealthy ways because we don't know how to deal with it in a a healthy mental way.
0: So when you're 14 or 15 and you're in this first consensual experience, uh, do you remember what that felt like? And what I'm trying to get to is, was it less exciting than the porn that you were already addicted
1: to? Uh, well, what was, what's interesting is that I actually the first the first sexual experience I ever had was one that it I only have come to accept in the last few years was not was abuse, I should say, because I had a 20 year old girl, you know, offered to, or, or let me do a bunch of stuff to her when I was like six years old. And it was the most sexually charged thing that I had ever experienced. And I think that I chased that high forever and ever when I was young, and I found very quickly that I could not get near that high with with women around my age, or girls around my age, because, you know, 15, 16. Um, some of that was nervousness, and over the years, I uh, got much, much more comfortable with the real thing, but... Pornography is about control, or at least it was for me and what what happened was that I gave up my control when I was being abused as a little kid at at a babysitter's house. And I think I told myself I would never be abused again. So when I got older, I was a bit of a control freak. I've always owned my own companies, that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't like answering to other people. And if you think about it, with pornography, you never have to answer to the person on that computer screen or the person on that page. You never have to, you know, they never tell you to take the trash out. They never tell you you're not doing a good enough job at, at, at work. You know, they're not telling you that you're a bad father or a bad husband, you know. And if you don't like what you're looking at, you click the button and you get something else. And that next person can't say no to you because they're not real. And I think that for a lot of people who are addicts, um, that's what it's really about, is that control and the high of that control. Um, intimacy with a human being is very different than the dopamine rush of pornography Um, people need to recognize that pornography addiction doesn't take place between the legs it takes place between the ears like all other addiction Um, you know addiction is addiction is addiction it's just a matter of how it plays out differently
0: so Wow so the the pornography so the Pornography was still a completely different experience. You started having physical experiences as you got older and older, but right. nothing could take the place of the need, the urge to go sit down and watch a, a, a female with multiple people or with another man and getting penetrated. All you know, there's something psychological about that.
1: Yeah, there was there was there was absolutely nothing that the two had to do with each other, and that's part of what uh, I try to get out there and tell people is that you know they need to recognize that sexuality and human sexuality is very different than look, just looking at pornography as an addict. Yeah, they're naked people. Yeah, there's sex. But they are serving different masters. I looked at pornography because it calmed the storm of whatever was going on in my head i I had a wife I had plenty of girlfriends I don't I don't lack at all for great a great sex life or feeling like I was I missed out on something. I feel fine about that but I needed that stuff to get through my days especially the bad ones. I needed that stuff to. Largely function just like I just like I felt with alcohol, and like my mind told me, I needed both alcohol and pornography if I was going to function as a quote unquote healthy person.
0: You're in a relationship. Uh, you're with your wife or girlfriend or fiance, whatever whatever stage you were at at this point. Yeah, you end up having a beautiful night. You go out on a nice date, nice dinner. You come home. You're intimate with your wife, your fiance, and then you're sitting there and laying there, and, and do these urges come in right away where you have to like excuse yourself and go into the other room? What's what what happens? Not
1: not uh, not usually because um, the use of the alcohol and pornography was more about soothing. So um, if I was having sex with my wife, I was probably in a good mood anyway. Because one thing that a lot of when I deal with. Uh, I coach a lot of porn addicts, but I also coach their partners who are dealing with betrayal trauma. And one thing that I have to always tell them is that, you know, don't look at a lack of sex as a rejection of you. It's not that you're not pretty. And the fact that he is masturbating to porn has nothing to do with sex itself or that orgasm. Um, if you talk to anybody who is a heroin addict or just about any other kind of addict and you look at statistics, you will find that uh, rates of intercourse drop among people who are critically addicted and so you think okay well people who are critically addicted don't have sex yes but they will still look at pornography and masturbate to it because that's a completely separate thing in their mind that feeds their addiction so for the partner they often get mixed messages in this situation you know. Somebody who is the partner of a heroin addict, well, there's probably not any sex going on there. But they're not wondering, is it because I'm not pretty enough? Is it because I'm not wild enough that they went and started using heroin? But because you know, intercourse and pornography are so intertwined in so many people's minds, uh, we we get these kinds of uh, gray areas that have to be parsed out. Addiction is very different than healthy sexuality.
0: And this is the type of stuff that you have to coach your clients through consistently because they're attributing one goes with the other. He doesn't want to uh, get, get uh, a sexual experience with me. He doesn't want to ejaculate when we're doing something together, yet he wants to go in the room and watch porn and do it. And you're explaining okay. to them these are two mutually exclusive things.
1: Well, if he's an addict,
0: if he's an addict, if
1: he's if he's an addict, absolutely, and it's it's almost ironic because I will. um, There are a lot of women who will come to me and be like, "I need to talk to you. I think you know. I know my husband's a porn addict." They start telling me their story, and it's not that their husband is a porn addict; it's that they hate pornography. They have communicated to their partner or husband that they hate pornography. But their husband or partner just doesn't listen to them and doesn't care about their feelings. You know, these people are not addicted. These people are just bad partners who mm. don't care about their partner's feelings or, or attitudes towards pornography. Um, and I think that in some ways, that's worse than having somebody who's an addict, because at least with an addict, you've got a bona fide health problem. Addiction is a disease. With these other people, you just have bad partners.
0: Yeah, they're just they're just shitty uh, partners. Is really what you're yeah doing,
1: exactly. Right? Well, that, that, that's that's exactly what I tell people. I said there is you know there's a difference between being a sick person and an asshole, and sometimes you'd rather be with the sick person.
0: Ah, uh, that's so interesting. It's so powerful because the addict, the addiction itself is it's all neurological. It's all mental. Right. Whereas yeah, the other, yeah, yeah.
1: It's, 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 everybody talks about dopamine. That's the buzzword of, you know, the 2020s. Um, but, you know, it's six different chemicals in there that work differently in what are essentially your pleasure centers um, and your reward centers. And I don't know why it was uh, alcohol. I don't know why it was porn, but that's what I could flood my reward centers and my pleasure centers with I learned that and you do that too much and you start to you know essentially fry the nerve endings in a way and that's how that's why people go from drinking beer to wine to the hard stuff that's why people go from looking at porn for 30 minutes to an hour to three hours you know every addiction escalates because you have to continue to flood those areas um, with those chemicals because that's what you're looking for is that high. Yeah, you know, yeah. ultimately you
0: have to you have to almost one up the prior high. And that's absolutely, a absolutely.
1: I've talked to guys, and thankfully, I was never at this level. But I've talked to guys who talk about sitting down to look at porn for an hour, and suddenly ten hours have gone by, and they can't find that perfect piece of porn to get off to because mm. that's the one. That's the only reason why men who look at porn, who are addicts, need to masturbate. They need to basically know that their pleasure center just got the dopamine it needed, and that's what ejaculation is for the. Porn
0: addict during your the height of this addiction
1: where it was
0: almost probably at an uncontrollable level take us back to one of those days where where you where you can't uh, do anything but focus on this what's the what's the deep dark world that you're living in
1: well, you know, um, uh, unfortunately, it's it's not as dramatic as, you know, uh, a lot of movies would have you make it out. But, you know, I would bring the kids to school in the morning. And before I went into work, I would go home and I'd check my email from there because I could get it done quicker. And that's what I did for years. But then in the last six, seven months of my addiction, I started to look at porn in the morning before I went to work and the email didn't get done. Um, and that might have only been 45 minutes. But that's 45 minutes of my usual work day that got replaced by porn. You know, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. And,
0: and I Josh, let me ask started
1: looking at pornography on my phone. I had not done that for about 20 years. And in, in those last six, seven months, I started doing that. And my uh, probably my biggest change was I looked at pornography very late in the evenings and I started to make the jump into chat rooms. Where uh, were cam to cam rooms, and I wanted to, you know, actually see somebody and talk to them and interact at that level, because just looking at video clips or still pictures weren't wasn't doing it for me anymore. Um, you know, that was that was the very uh, last six seven months when I got into that critical section um, yeah, of addiction, and my drinking was off the charts as well. Um, and the reason ultimately was because. In mid 2013, I pulled myself off of my bipolar medication because one of my companies was failing and I made the dumbass mistake, which I'd made once earlier in my life, of thinking if I pulled myself off my meds, I could tap into my manic side, my creative side, the part that doesn't need as much sleep, and I could figure out a way to save the business. And unfortunately, instead of going into that manic side, you know, two weeks later, my uh, medicine's out of my system. I started drinking triple, quadruple what I was drinking before, and like I just you know told you, my behaviors with pornography and my my use um, changed a lot too, and that's really when I entered that critical phase because I made the dumb dumb mistake of pulling myself off my meds to try to save a business, and uh, you know that's ultimately how I paid for it. Wow, man,
0: you were going through addiction with pornography, addiction with. Alcohol and you were fighting bipolar,
1: and and honestly, I was addicted to my work too. I loved it because I had sure. control. I had control there. You know, there were times where earlier in my marriage, um, before I owned this company, but when I owned a, a different one, um, you know, we would occasionally bounce checks. You know, my wife or I at home and because we could not get on the same page with communication for our finances. But at work, everything was fine because I controlled it alone. And one of my big contentions, you know, was how come I have never missed payroll, but we bounce checks? And it was, you know, I became a workaholic um, in the last six, seven years of my addiction because it allowed me to escape my real life. In my work life, I was... You know, somebody that everybody knew. I was respected. I was looked up to. Um, you know, it, it. While I felt like I had imposter syndrome during a lot of it, it also felt really good because I felt like um, I was somebody. Um, I don't know if that's narcissism or not, but it—that's what I was chasing with that. So I probably did just as much damage to my family because of the hours I spent at work, as much as drinking, as much as looking porn, as much as not taking care of bipolar.
0: Well, it goes back to what you said earlier about having control. It's the same thing with the addiction, right. when you had that control of, hey, I could put on this video, I can put on this one, nobody can tell me when I can and can't stop. And it, it's all intertwined. Um, back to those days, however, where you're sitting there waking up 45 minutes, you're having a drink, you're watching pornography. Are you doing watching pornography for uh, uh, an act for yourself or is it just you have to just see it?
1: Do you just have to see it. and That's, that's, that's the thing is that a lot of people um, who think they're addicted to pornography, it turns out they're addicted to masturbation. And there's a, there's a lot of people who um, it's the other way around for them. You know, they think they're addicted to masturbation or they masturbate too much. Turns out they only masturbate to see the pornography. Um, You know, I've never done this experiment before, but I heard about it from a from a guy who uh, was a 12 stepper. And he said that, you know, when somebody enters one of the rooms and they say that they're out of control, they don't know what to do. Instead of telling them go to go completely um, without, they say, you know, for the next two weeks, if you look at pornography, that's fine. Don't masturbate. Or if you masturbate, that's fine. Don't look at pornography. Uh. And at the end of those two weeks, you'll know what you're addicted to. It'll be one or the other or both, but at least you'll know what demon you're fighting because a lot of times there are guys who just are addicted to the orgasm. But for a lot of guys, it you know goes much deeper than that into areas of control um, like, like I had.
0: So the guys that are addicted to just the orgasm itself... Uh wouldn't they be those are the type of guys that you think would probably want to have intimacy with another partner, correct? They need, they absolutely. need the
1: absolutely and a lot of those guys, I mean, I've now met hundreds of of porn addicts of which you near know, 95% are men and the stories are radically similar and it's exactly like you're saying.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that would be that's an interesting take. So some, some of these people that think they're addicted to pornography might not even be addicted to porn. Porn is a means to an end.
1: Addiction, addiction is a diagnosis. Yeah. It's like uh, ADD, bipolar, OCD, whatever your letters you want to throw against the wall. They are diagnosis upon which doctors, therapists, etc. decide how to treat the way you are the reality is however you are walking into that doctor's office you're the same person when you walk out with that diagnosis and you know my when i go out and you know hopefully when they reopen the world and i can talk to colleges and libraries again my message is not an anti-pornography one we are not getting rid of pornography in this world um you go to any museum in any major city and go to their, you know, ancient medieval histories wing and you look at the pottery and you're more than likely going to see some pretty X-rated stuff. Um, you know, there are cave paintings of pornography. You look at things like the Kama Sutra, you know, pornography is out there. It's always going to be out there. Fighting it is a stupid battle, but what we need to do is because of this world of high speed internet and technology, we need to, Teach the younger generation how to properly use it and what some of the pratfalls are. You know, I I tell parents that the um, don't look at porn in my house speech is much similar to the don't drink in my house or don't smoke in my house speech the don't look at porn speech is not the birds and the bees speech it's completely different and uh, we need to be able to talk about pornography as a society before we're going to be able to really address pornography addiction so I don't want to not talk about pornography, I don't want to eradicate pornography, I want to talk Talk about how we become a more healthy sexual society, because that's really what pornography does at this point—is it creates an unhealthy sexual society. I don't know that there is anything about pornography that'll ever be found, especially healthy. But I think that it's important we recognize the use of it, um, especially in today's world is largely unhealthy based on the results we see.
0: Right, if it could be balanced and controlled, there could be benefits to it in terms of people's emotional happiness and those types of things. In
1: some people, yes. I mean, I look at it as um, there's a casino 20 minutes from my house. My wife and I go there probably two, three times a year because they have a great steakhouse. I'm here in Maine where we have nothing. So I go, you know, we go there for a good meal and after the meal we play slot machines and I have made this rule for myself for about 10 years. Well, you can either lose $40 or you can win a hundred dollars. Um, but once you hit either one of those benchmarks, you leave. And uh, sometimes I don't hit either cause it's just been too long and I get bored and I walk away that's because I don't have the gambling gene, and I don't think that anybody who has a gambling problem should be able to kill the industry because they can't handle it. I think that you know we need more people to understand gambling addiction as a problem, um, just like we need to have people understand that pornography addiction is a problem but trying to eradicate things like this. There's a reason they're vices. People have gone to them through generations and generations. Um, They're never going anywhere, but what we need to do is be willing to say more people are doing this than you realize, and there are a lot of potential pitfalls with it. Um, You should be made aware of it. Some people get addicted. You know, some some people's lives go to hell because of this stuff. Not saying yours will, but you need to know about this.
0: Very briefly, Josh, somebody that's struggling with this, how do they overcome the addiction? What are some things that they can put into place to start turning things around? Uh,
1: The first thing I would say is talk to somebody. Whether you walk into a 12-step room, whether you find a therapist or coach like I am, whether you go online to a forum, find somebody else who has been there and is who, who is um, a little bit more uh, recovered than you are, and they will help show you the way, and they can even help you plan a strategy for recovery. Um, this is one of those things where fellowship is a very big deal. So find somebody, and it's not hard because there are so many of us out there.
0: And you don't advocate necessarily just quitting cold turkey right this could be this is no different than stopping smoking or drinking there's a gradual waning off period is that correct i
1: think i think whatever ends with you being in recovery is what's important i personally went cold turkey but that's my personality i quit alcohol and pornography the same week because i'm just a stubborn person who likes a challenge that doesn't work for everybody you have to you have to do recovery your way at your speed if that's cold turkey that's cold turkey if that's weaning over 6 months that's weaning over 6 months it's about the journey you know to to get to recovery
0: and wh- how have you been since being recovered what what has life been like how has it changed Uh, Well, I look at pictures of
1: me and while it's ironic that those pictures are 10 years older, I look 10 years younger than, you know, I am in the pictures. Um, I have a relationship with my wife and kids that I didn't know was possible. Uh, I have intimacy and not necessarily not sexual. But I have intimacy, personal levels with my parents, with my brother, with a couple of my close friends that I never had before. Um, I now have empathy. Um, I now work to help people. And, you know, I spread these messages, but I'm coaching people every day. Um, And I'm teaching as much as I can. I'm writing about this. Uh, Life is great. And I had no idea it could be this, this good. People talked it up. But they were actually telling the truth. Life is amazing when you are not beholden to a substance or behavior.
0: That is beautifully said. For anyone that wants to connect with you, Josh, where can they find you online?
1: Yeah, you can find me at the letter P, Addict Recovery. Um, And the P can stand for porn. It can stand for post-betrayal trauma. It can stand for whatever you want it to. but if you have any questions about porn addiction, either with yourself or your partner, or betrayal trauma with yourself or your partner, um, I can help you out there. I have a ton of resources. I write a lot of articles about it. Um, some of the other shows I've been on, there are links there. Um, you know, I just want people to start having a dialogue about this stuff. So, check out paddictrecovery.com.
0: com. We'll link that in the, sh- we'll link that yes, in the show notes. And, um... And when you say betrayal trauma, you're talking about a partner who says that they're going to stop doing the pornography, and then they somehow slip back into it, and then their other their partner is devastated. Is that
1: Betray- betrayal trauma is 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 one of those things that can be anything. You can get it because your partner lied to you about using porn. You can get it because you know. You didn't think that you didn't think your partner was the kind of guy who used porn. Then you find out he did, and suddenly you wonder what else has he been lying about for 20 years. Mm. Uh, betrayal trauma can come because your parents, you know, die when you're young. Betrayal trauma can happen because you see somebody killed in front of you, or your house burns down, or you're in a bad car accident. You know, it, it's it's trauma, it's shock, it's feeling like you should have been kept safe. And that reality was not what you were promised. And having that shattered and not being able to quite get over it.
0: Don't let your uh, addiction define you.
1: Absolutely. you. And when it comes to pornography, one of the first things that I tell men um, when I begin working with them is, you know, you need to know you are not the pornography you looked at. Everybody has their weird little things. Everybody has those itches that need to be scratched. You don't have to be embarrassed. I've talked with hundreds of people about their pornography use. I've heard everything. I was a porn addict. I probably saw everything. Don't get hung up on that embarrassing stuff. To stop you from getting help, because as you've noticed here, uh, Nate, we and you and I, have not got graphic about any of this. You can talk about pornography without it getting graphic, without it getting embarrassing. You need to get the help, and uh, don't worry about it being all personal and and you know talking about this kind of stuff because it isn't.
0: It's about what drove you there. Absolutely. You all, you'll never recover if you are ashamed, too ashamed to talk about it. So don't be ashamed. That's the message. There's nothing Absolutely. to be ashamed about. Hey, listen, man. Thank you very much for uh, the insight and uh, P-Addict Recovery.com. We'll, we'll link you in the show notes. All the best to you. Continued success with everything.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on today.